to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I have the pleasure of speaking with an innovator who disrupts traditional narratives through immersive experiences while empowering others to do the same. An artist, educator, and the co-founder of Kinfolk, a company that uses augmented reality to make black and brown narratives accessible to everyone around the world. Please welcome the passionate and visionary Idris Brewster. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I uh, decided to be here. Yeah. Um, and again, as I say on multiple podcasts, it's always great to be talking to another bespectacled person. Yes, yes. I've been I've been feeling the camaraderie recently with my fellow bespectacled uh, <laughs> folks. I'm I'm always we 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 on the same wavelength. I see. <laughs> Two dudes, eight eyes. <laughs> Yeah, most definitely. That's funny. So starting off, I, I like to get sort of the the origin story. Um, I like to dive into like some of those like early points because I'm, I'm curious, dude. So like what sparked your curiosity in, in delving into the world of like XR, um, your 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 interest in art, storytelling, your interplay between mind, technology and computer. So, so set the stage for us a little bit, because, you know, I'm one, I've never heard of XR. You know, I'm a noob, so I'm sure a lot of people have it. We, you know, VR, you know, augmented reality, things to the sword. So, kind of set the stage for us a bit. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm the son of two documentary filmmakers, right? And so that I was immersed from young in terms of like storytelling, in terms of my family's history. Um, but for me, it was like, what was I into? I was into video games. Uh, playing 2K, Crash Bandicoot, like Sonic, Zelda, um, a bunch of different video games. And that's why that's how I engaged with the world, honestly. Like played two, I, I mean, talk about bespectacled folks. Like there's a reason I'm bespectacled because the amount of video games that I was playing. And so I think spatial, uh, engaging with information spatially was something that I was used to from a very young age. Um, but also like the way I learned, the way I, I just w went through these experiences was always, uh, I, there was an element of self-guidedness that I, I really enjoyed about being able to control, being able to fail a bunch of times. Um, and so that was always of interest. I was a digital artist. Uh, I am a creative technologist, but my interest in these technologies and these experiences was always from the lens of like, how can I create art? How can I be creative with coding? I can create all these apps, all these databases, all these other coding situations, but how do I express myself through the means that I'm most comfortable in? Um, and so I never really engaged. I didn't engage with coding in high school. But before that, I started in college. Um, I did AI stuff in college, but um, this was around like 2013, 2014, uh, before like the Oculus which is the headset was available to the public. Yeah. Um, but I got a grant through my school, Occidental College, um, to use the Oculus DK2, which was like the Oculus development kit. It was the second iteration of the development kit. And so I got like early access to virtual reality. And I think that was a privileged position of myself to be in is to have, get access to something um, that one, wasn't really available to most folks. And two, was pretty expensive. Like I it was like, a $400 machine, but then I needed a $1,000 computer to even run it. Um, yeah. So I was grateful to be in a, a university environment so where I could use that. Um, and so I built, uh, so then I was able to engage with it. And I was a cognitive science major, uh, a computer science major. So my focus was on like the interplay between the mind 
and the computer, but through the lens of emotion. So I was like doing in a VR experience, I was sort of like taken aback by the how immersive it was, how it really like felt like you were in a different world. Um, and I, for me, I saw a lot of potential in that, like for video games, for storytelling, for art. And that sort of like piqued my curiosity. Um, and she was like, all right, how can I explore this? But from a, not from a different lens, from like a lens of like really creating art and creating immersive experiences. Um, and so that's really how I got the start was going in there to my college, learning how to use the VR there. And then it, it blossomed. It blossomed from there into me doing this full time. Oh, wow. Wow. And, you know, we're at this, the, the sort of 10 year mark, right? Yeah, we're, we're at the 10 year mark for sure. Um, I guess after college, uh, which I graduated in 2016. So I think, but I was engaging with like 2013, 2014. So that's about 10 years, maybe nine, eight years we'll give it. But yeah. after that, I went to work at Google. And at Google, I was working in the education space at a place called Code Next, where we taught black and brown high schoolers around New York City how to do computer science. But it wasn't through the lens of like rote computer science education like I got in school where you had doing uh, data analytics, you're doing calculus, you're doing a lot of numbers. And especially for black and brown folks, it's like, eh, is that going to interest me? Mm -hmm. um, is that really like have a broad appeal to people that come from Brooklyn, uh, South Central, just around uh, black and brown communities around the country. Yeah. So what we did was do it through the lens of art. We taught kids how to create a 3D model, taught kids how to make beats. Uh, I make beats on my own. Uh, and so I think that using this technology, um, but for ways to express ourselves and that really embed them ourselves in the culture yeah. uh, was a shift that I thought we could really have. I mean, we are creating content, creating music. We really run Twitter and all these social media spaces, but like, how can we build these situations and build these technologies uh, to be fit for people like us? And so yeah. um, through Google, I was really teaching that computer science through the lens of art uh, to black and brown high schoolers, which was very inspiring uh, for me to go on into uh, kinfolk. Yeah, and and we're gonna dive into that a bit more. And I, I definitely um, got a comment on it. That's 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 really cool, especially in, in seeing, you know, sort of like my day job. I'm in I'm, I'm a data analyst by, by day. So okay. being around it and kind of seeing sort of the the lack of people even being aware of AI and then seeing like pretty much for like six months. And then we get to the graduation cycle and folks are saying, I think people are writing their papers using chat GPT and things of the sort. I was like, yeah, they are. And I mentioned this in December. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now they that that's the cheat code. People have definitely been using ChatGPT to write. My brother's in college, and he's like, "Yo, I got the I got the keys now, man." I was like, "Nah, they they're, they're gonna they're gonna as they did. They came up with a ChatGPT detector, so I was like, be careful out there." But it's like, yeah, we need to. I guess I hate. It's a weird for me because like we are as a community behind. I would say in technology. But I do also hate the rhetoric out there. It's like, if you don't catch up, you're going to get left behind. You all need to get you all, you all need to catch up. It's like, no, it's like, let's change the ways in which this technology relates to us. Because mm -hmm. at a large scale, I mean, these things like AI, uh, technology in general hasn't been built for or by people like us at, at, at a large scale. So uh, we need to really create our own sort of 
our own sort of communities of, uh, of technology creation. Uh, so we have to have platforms and experiences where that we can relate to on a deeper level. It's like, I don't blame people for not wanting to jump into AR, VR, AI. It's like, it do that it doesn't feel like it relates to me, my culture, my history. So why would I be interested in that? So it's about the work of people like myself and others to make that really approachable, accessible, but also relatable, uh, which is a lot of the like a lot of the motivator for me to to do the work. Thank you, and 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 I and I love you know using sort of the the different tools. Let's say you know ai being an example potentially but using some of the 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 ways to share technology um within communities that often are not considered when this stuff is being like built out but using maybe like art as a means to kind of get it over it to use the wrestling parlance um i you know doing this i've been doing this almost as long as i've been in a data world so those yeah. both have been running concurrently and I will say, once I started utilizing just new technology in what I'm doing, I'm like, all right, I need this to normalize because this is going to kind of get in the way because I wasn't thinking thinking um, about my creativity through that lens. I was just kind of like, this is how I'm going to do this. It'll be easier and so on, kind of falling for the different videos you run into on Instagram versus like this could be a tool for this purpose now let's see let's let's actually test it let's play with it let's yeah start let's play with it, it. no 100 percent. so you know i gotta gotta ask you know you, you touched on a little bit there what what led to you founding kenfolk and you know give us give us the you know the background what is kenfolk what led to you founding it all all the good stuff yeah so kenfolk is an augmented reality archive of black and brown history and what we do is we create digital monuments um, and crowdsource uh, archival materials um, as a way to archive visualize memorialize our history we can sorry we can uh use it as a means to humanize the histories that have been erased and lost i think the hole that we found was that there First off, I mean, there's out of 48,000 plus monuments that exist in the, in the U.S., mm -hmm. there's like only 240 monuments to people of color. And that's like less than 1% uh, of the monuments that exist within our public spaces. But then also another stat is that like in terms of like the national list of, of sites of historical places in this country, only 8% are related to black and brown folks and history. And so it's clear that the powers that be that are in charge have not prioritized the capturing and preserving of black and black history. Yeah. And so we, as a people, we've been doing that ourselves forever. I mean, African oral traditions are are embedded in who we are. And I think that this technology that we're building is not meant to replace that. It's meant to enhance it and enhance that preservation so that um, there can be a means to not only capture that history and record it and pass it down, but to share it widely. Um, and so that's why we're choosing a platform of te a technological platform is so that someone in Brooklyn, New York can tell their history about Flatbush, but then someone in Beijing, China um, or Bangkok, Thailand can engage with the history that they have never heard or experienced before and be inspired by that. Um, and so the form that we do these is in digital monuments. And that's a way for us to 
not only record and preserve the histories, but then embed those histories in spaces that we take up and build, but aren't necessarily appreciated in through the lack of monuments, through lack of public art that's related to Black history. And so the other aspect of this archive is that it's location-based. You can go into locations and see the monuments that we've created and hopefully soon see the monuments that communities create as well. Um, and it all started in like 2017. I was working at Google. My partner at the time, uh, Glenn, uh, we were thinking about the Columbus Circle statue and monument that existed in, in Columbus Circle, New York City. The mayor de Blasio at that time was considering what to do with that monument. Do you take it down and remove it? Do you do we keep it and make it a landmark? Uh, do we add additional context around that monument? And sort of Black and Indigenous folks were pushing for the removal of the monument. A lot of the Italian community in New York was uh, was pushing for the uh, preservation of, of that monument. Um, and so we would do teach-ins, demonstrations, and we'd bring our AR experiences, uh, prototypes at the time, uh, for people to engage in the true history of Christopher Columbus. We would tell that true history through AR, but then also tell the story of people we wanted to celebrate instead, like Toussaint Louverture uh, and other folks who... Uh, have had an effect on New York City and the country at large. Um, we ended up losing that battle and they ended up preserving it and making it a landmark. Um, but through that process, we saw that augmented reality had a had the uh, through that process, we saw that augmented reality had the potential to allow us and community to shift our own history on our own terms. Yeah. We don't have to wait for a mayor de Blasio or other folks to decide when our history is preserved or when monuments are made or when public art is installed. We can do it ourselves as a means to generate um, hype and generate um, support for physical changes being made. And art is always at the center of that because art is like a universal language that you don't really need. In a lot of cases, don't need text or don't need to understand like different languages. It's 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 universal. It speaks to everyone in a lot of cases. And so I think starting with art as the base and everything spreading from there is pretty important um, for us to communicate to a broad uh, broad audience. And so um, now that's what we're building out. I think through that process, we were like, oh, with Pokemon <laughs> Go, you you can place Pokemon wherever, and no one's telling you what to do. That there's even. Uh, there was even some different laws or different like different disputes around. Hey, you don't put Pokemon on my private property. And it's like, oh, there's no real rule around that. Uh, uh, you can Bulbasaur can exist on your lawn, and there's not much you can do about it. Um, but for us, it's like, all right, that's interesting. Like the law hasn't caught up, and yeah. for us, we can now use that technology to place historical markers and historical monuments, uh, and contemporary monuments and future monuments in yeah. spaces. Uh, for everyone to access who's walking by. And there's a lot more, but I'll stop there. No, thank you. And you, you want, I, I have several comments, but you know, also I can, you know, see envisioning in the future, the Rob Lee monument of the black podcaster that is running Baltimore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you should, and it's like, that's the question. It's like people are like, Oh, who am I to create a monument? It was like, who are all these other people to create, to be decided to create the monuments? Like everyone should have access to the, ability to memorialize and make art and make art that that is a monument to them and their community. And so that's sort of what we're doing as well is trying to create access to that ability to make monuments. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty important. And, and I think um, it's, it's, it's very important. It's like, I think over the, it's, it's his, historically it's been there, obviously, as far as this, this need and this desire to 
capture and acknowledge our history and the history of folks that are underrepresented, black and brown folks primarily, um, because those are the stories that get rebranded and really quickly yep. through film and things of that nature. You know, mm-hmm. for a long time, I, I did a podcast that was kind of like lampooning a lot of the stuff that you would see. Um, and I remember in, in 2020, um, you know, post George Floyd, I just remember I was like, how is this going to get shifted in five years to this was a different story? Because I was like, we see it in movies and we want sort of the I think folks want the sort of representation. We're happy that it's getting made. I think we're past that. We're, we're you know, as far as something being documented, something being articulated. I was like, I get to the nitty gritty of if I was alive during this and I see this and like, this is actually the story that was happening, you know, in any of these things, especially here, right. In Baltimore, like when you look at Freddie Gray, you know, it's like, yeah, I was, I was there. I was a conscious being. This is not what, what happened at all. Yeah. So, you know, capturing sort of like our history and on our terms, like I, I really just, just dig that. And I'll say, you know, even with something that's trivial as pop culture, cause I can't help it. You said Bulbasaur earlier. Um, <laughs> when you know i'm i'm of both minds like i'm very pro first amendment right but also i'm very like can we put a caveat on something can we acknowledge that this was wild and we thought this was acceptable at that time and we let that roll and it speaks to all of the different things whether it be people that look like you and i not being in rooms when something was written and it said hey this was good to go you know, and some of these things aren't that long ago. It's like, oh, no. a Golden Girls episode is in the 90s and late 80s. Fine. But like a 30 Rock episode when you thought like face may have been cool. That was kind of in the mid 2000s. Let's we knew that was like crap. So that's one side of it. But the sort of rebranding and recontextualizing what black and brown people have experienced and people are still alive to say, no, that's not what happened. Yeah. <laughs> So being able to take that by its horns and using technology to kind of shift and really document what that is and do it in a very well way. That's that's great. Yeah, no, I think that's it's like we need a voice like all these tools are there for us to make it make. All the tools are there for us to capture our own stories and make it known how we feel. I mean, even if you look at a lot of the representations in pop culture of black and brown, I'm sort of annoyed at, at them. Like it, do, it doesn't even make sense in, in, in a lot of these spaces. And it's also like the fact that we're getting, I feel like it's, we're getting commodified in a lot of the representation that I'm seeing in these histories in these movies in these, in these advertisements. Yep. Um, and I think where is our agency? Like where's our autonomy to be able to, say, nah, that's not right. And I think that we can do so on a place like Twitter and Instagram. That's where that's happening. But when that's built, like people like Elon Musk and like Mark Zuckerberg, like that's not the place that's respecting our opinions. Actually, in case Elon Musk, it's actually the opposite. He's more like right-leaning, supporting folks like Ron DeSantis. And so um, I think it's the work is the work that needs to be done for us to figure out how we can create our own structures to tell our own stories how to let it be known how we feel about certain situations um, and represent ourselves on our own terms. And I don't see that necessarily being there. A lot of work is being done in that space, um, yeah. but we got what we got a ways to go. Yeah. And, and, and making it, you know, on our own and having a lot of involvement, it kind of throws out this idea of, 
you know, I need a seat at the table. So I know let's 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 build our own. Let's let's, let's build our own. Let's you know, build let's our own. Let's make it. Make it a, <laughs> and it it is it is one of those things where I I run into this like as you can imagine in doing all of these interviews, right? Some of the bios that I get, and some of the artist statements, the things that I get, it's so many other descriptors, and then it gets to this other identity thing. And it almost runs the same way. It's almost like you're writing um, a grant application. You have to have this, 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 and this, and also a black artist that does this. It's like, which mm. one are you leading with? Which, which piece of the identity are you leading with? And I, I start to look at that because we we kind of talk in those terms and it's like to simplify it, but those things are, are simplified. And that's why I think certain groups don't get their say and get their due. And we're already kind of like fighting for that, I think. But if we're sort of in that driver's seat, it's just like, oh, no, we'll make sure you have space that, you know, we can do that. We can help out with that. Yeah. I mean, I've been I'm wrestling with this myself. Like our world is shaped by so many Eurocentric ideals and values that like we feel like the external validation is necessary. We feel like we're always missing something and always have to prove ourselves. We feel as though there's not enough not enough food at the table for us to right. all eat and start to like be in real competition. And um, I just feel like if we're ever going to get back to the point where we're decolonizing our values and our identities and like start building new ones that relate back to our ancestry and relate back to our past that, um, as you said, we need to build our own table uh, because it's embedded in everything. It's embedded in myself, in in you and in everyone. Uh, and so I think we need to start really having an effort and a movement to, to break that down, be more self-aware um, and yeah, build our own table, build our own worlds. And I think that's why it also relates back to the immersive. Like let's, let's, let's build our own shit and yeah. we don't have to, and let's, let's, let's not wait for others um, because others clearly aren't as committed to like white, like these stru white structures are not going to be committed to decolonizing the white structures. It's sort of like, that's, that's, that's not going to happen. So we need to do that. But again, like the money, Mm -hmm. The power necessary to do that, those are all obstacles um, in the way. Um, and yeah, the the grant, your grant comment kind of hit me. It's like people are always trying to like, mm -hmm. you're always trying to feel like they're writing a grant and trying to appease to folks with the, with the money to make the change, which unfortunately is a part of our society. And we're not profits. So we've got to write grants a lot. But um, yeah, how do we build our own tables, structures, communities that less focus on individuals and individualism, but for mo focus more on togetherness and, and community-centered values. And I think that's that's what I'm trying to do uh, with kinfolk and yeah. uh, pass the baton. Yeah, I mean that's you know that's what I see in in, in doing this and the sort of motivation behind it, and you know starting it from. You know, somebody was talking, you know, really wild about a black city, which I'm like, you're talking about black people and I'm not allowing that. That's that's yeah. really what the start of it was. And I was like, wonder if other people feel this way. And that's where these interviews came from. And mm. sensibilities mm. are very this. And yeah. it's like I can talk to anyone, but the sensibilities are still coming from this person. Yeah. Whether it be from the people I'm talking to, how I'm talking to and what we're talking about, whatever. And, you know. Sometimes I get these different people who pull up and say, hey, I can consult for you and help you. And it's like, yeah, you know, you, you can be the next Joe Rogan. I was like, no, I don't want to be that. That's not my. No, not at all. It's not my aspiration. Um, 
or you need to 10x what you're doing. I was like, you're saying things to me that fall outside of what this is. So you don't know what this is. Yikes. That triggers me. That triggers me. Uh (laughs) As building a tech, building a tech nonprofit, a lot of people are like, yo, what the hell are you doing? Like, you should, you should go for profit, 10x this. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, first off, if I'm driven to build this out from a point of view of having a to create, generate revenue and profit, then one, I'm profiting off the community that I'm working with. It's not a true collaboration. And two, I'd be forced to stretch this in ways that aren't prioritizing like the impact and the expression that's necessary uh, and the preservation. So it's really, imp- I think being a nonprofit is extremely important, even though the nonprofit industrial complex has its own large issues. Yes. Um, I think prioritizing profit and profit maximization, especially for venture capital and investors, um, that's a part of the problem, the problem of capitalism. But uh, it's also just a problem because that doesn't that doesn't suit us. Um, so, yeah, that 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 comment hit me hard because a lot of people have said I should 10x this. And I'm like, nah, you know, nah, like this is slow growth. This is slow building. And it's yeah. like focusing on community. And it's not like scale has scale has had its way with us and human human like humanity like it's it's messed us up on a lot of different ways i'm definitely not i wouldn't say i'm not anti-scale but i'm definitely i'm definitely not a fan of the way that scale has like destroyed a lot of like food destroyed technology and it's got us in a place where this all this stuff is meant to be extracted so how do we how do we how do we get how do we opt out of that yeah uh and and opt into something that's uh, defined by us and, I, and I'll, I'll say this last thing, you being up there in, in New York or what have you, I think the orange skies from a few weeks ago, if the smoke <laughs> and all was indicative of, I remember literally saying this, I was like, man, the air would be better if we had more tree. Oh, right. No trees. Got it. Right. You know? I was, I was biking through that. I was coughing. Like, I was like, why am I just out here coughing? Like, I'm not like smoking nothing. Like, I'm just like, I'm, I'm just like str- struggling. Right. And it was like, yeah, like we need to really think about the impact that we're having. Um, and it was that that was pretty this that New York sky was freaking scary. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but and I'm starting to hear conspiracies and things like the government is controlling the sky. And I'm just like, y'all know this is the planet. This is the planet telling us that we need to chill. So this is not a, a MK Ultra plot by that George W. It. Bush. Like, this is it's not the powers that be, y'all. We can't conspiracy think think ourselves to death on this one. Like it's clear what's the problem here. That was a GI Joe uh, a plot when Cobra said we're going to control the weather. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so I, I, I want to reset, and I think I got a yeah. lot of you know what I was was looking for in some of these later questions. So that's great. You're making my job easier. Um. So I, I want to get a sense, like, from your observations, like you know, over the, the last like eight to 10 years that you've been involved in sort of this industry and this scene, you know, from developing into kinfolk, all, everything. How have you seen like diversity inclusion and like become evolving, you know, over the, 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 the last 10, the eight to 10 years in terms of uh, the VR um, and, and XR industries? That's, that's a tough one. Cause I think from a, just a, high level perspective i mean the tools to create have gotten easier there are like snapchat has their lens studio where you can go in and make models upload models and create your own lens pretty easily um facebook's done the same thing um 
the hardware has gotten cheaper. When I started in 2013, um, you had to buy a $400 machine with plus a thousand dollar computer. Um, that, but now you can just buy the MetaQuest that is 300 bucks and you don't need anything else and it runs. Um, but I think that still, like, there have been efforts like Google Code Next and others to get computer science more integrated into into our into our communities. More workshops being done, more digital art schools that are popping up. Um, but from what I've seen, I don't know the the pathways that I'm not happy with the progress. I'll say um, there. I would have thought by like 10 years down the line, there would be thousands of others doing it like me that are doing it in this space. And yet that's not the case. I can like count in my head pretty easily how many people I know who are black and brown who are building work um, in this in this area. And so I still think there needs to be a lot of a, a, a lot of work needs to be done. And it's still, again, like this industry is so focused on profit maximization that it's not really focusing on how do we get this into communities? How do we make it accessible? How do we make it relatable? How do we make content that is inspiring? How do we get folks building and creating in these spaces? Um, and so I think for me, we need more we need to create more pathways for folks outside of the tech bros <laughs> and to, to create this work. I mean, we are a, we are an example of how you can use storytelling mm -hmm. to create work, how you can create XR, VR, AR work. Um, I think looking at it from more of an artistic perspective opens up the doors for a lot of people. Um, there's tools in, in, in VR where you can just draw really easily in space, like tilt brush and quill. And so why is that not in the hands of like black and brown artists across the country who intuitively can capture that and create models? Mm -hmm. um, how do we think about this from a storytelling and narrative perspective so that we can bring in um, filmmakers, we can bring in uh, writers, we can bring in foresight futurist thinkers, we can bring in historians like i think it needs to be a much more in intersectional approach uh to building out the xr community it's very insular it's very insulated yeah. and when people see a boys club they steer the other way and i don't uh subscribe to this boys club um ask the club they don't know me but like <laughs> i what what i do know is that like my purpose for me is like how do we put these in spaces where it doesn't usually go how do we like we could to build these monuments we have our digital 3d art team uh we have our um design uh development team but we could make all the monuments ourselves but like we go into spaces that are black and brown we work with artists who do not have the digital experience even on that tip we could go with artists who have digital art experience who have xr abilities but that would be few and far between when we're talking about black and brown folks. So how do we work with painters, sculptors, uh, conceptual artists, and how do we learn from how they approach this medium uh, to push it forward? 
Um, Because I think that the technology is really cool and really great, but the art that you see is trash a lot of the time. Like, I'm sorry for my 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 bluntness, but like, I think my me and my team are always like, damn, like this is really not good and it's not appealing. And we create really we spend a lot of time creating high quality models with pretty pretty world class uh, XR art, Um, and it's not. I think we need more people that have training and experience outside of XR and technology to be in the space so that we can like really share that so we can get more people to have buy-in because without that, it's going to continue to be this Silicon Valley dream of like Blade Runner and 20, like again, like the worlds that are being our visions for the people building this technology is what's coming about. Like, Elon, Jeff Bezos, and these white boy dreams of the future is it's manifesting that future to happen. Like we got to go to Mars. We got to really, um, I think these sort of cyber fanatic dreams, you're from a Eurocentric perspective, it's is what's being built in reality. And so that's why we need more thinkers and more dreamers from mm-hmm. uh, black, brown, indigenous communities to be involved and to have ownership over these platforms. Um, and yeah, that's really what I, I really think that we just need to move away from these like Elon Musk dreams and move forward to more Afrofuturist, like indigenous dreams. And that's that then we'll be able to manifest the 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 future that we want, or at least get closer to that future. Um, but there's a lot of work that needs to happen in order to make that a reality. 100%. And, you know, as a person that reads those sort of like old sci-fi and, this notion of like extended reality, it's, it, it makes me think of speculative fiction. It's just like, yeah. it's just sitting there. And, you know, I I like some of this really old stuff or what have you. It's like you grew up on it. It's like, oh yeah, I love Blade Runner. Love this, love that. No, I love that. Yeah. But also it's like- I do too. It's like, where are the brothers though? Is that, you know, for me? And it's just like, I kind of prefer Wakanda. I feel like there's trees there. I feel like people are breathing like clean air versus we're in a smog planet from Wally, you know, <laughs> that we're just, <laughs> but but it, it's that. And even this, these sort of, and I, and I like it, white boy dreams, I'm going to use these, um, that, you know, these are things that are 60, 70, 80 years old that we're trying to do now. It's because sort of you know, a small, and I I was going to be very spicy there, but I have to remember I'm supposed to be neutral. Um, But it's a very small, like, group of people who are allowed to kind of like, you know, who have been allowed to have sort of the access to that stuff and play with it. And the best that they can come up with is something from 70, 80 years ago, you know, to try to bring that to reality. Um, I think it's it's something about that. It, It reminds me of my take on why are certain characters in movies written the same way because the guys that are making it generally the guys that are making it they are fans of the same references so they just come from that same yeah point. we are we are we are squeezing every bit of juice out of stanley as we can like why are we why are we, why is marvel why is like marvel's great i love a marvel movie but i guess why is that the only sort of like one of the only bits of like imagination especially with superheroes that 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 we can have like i think this is a large statement and correct me if i'm wrong but i really feel like human creativity is for me it seems to be at an all-time low at, at at times when i when when i think about it and i think that's also because 
the real dreamers, thinkers, and imaginers aren't getting those opportunities, aren't getting cut those checks mm-hmm. uh, to to make to make these new stories, these new worlds, these new comics. Yeah. Um, and so, speculative fiction is a large part of the work for us. And starting with that past uh, to understand how we got here can then help us jump off, be a springboard into this new future that we we all want to build and make happen. Um, so I really feel like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're on the same page. We're on, we're on, we're on the same page here. Um, I, I see it all the time. And, you know, you know, outside of this, you know, doing media of different sorts or what have you and just trying to roll with it, going back to that that earlier point, I'd rather go at it alone than kind of like, you know, relinquish sort of control. And it's not being a control freak as much as I want clarity in what the message yes. is. And, you know, when it, I, I, I desperately, because I'm working on a comic, um, desperately, well, I've done a comic. And oh, okay, so you ad- know. <laughs> and I want to have it adapted. And I want to run into like an artist that kind of fits. But it's sort of these messages because of the sort of, as you as you talked about earlier, like, you know, I, I use the pie analogy. You know, we're told there are eight slices to the pie, but four of them have already been earmarked, but we're not told that, you know, it's yeah. sort of that. So when it comes to something, it's, it's almost like a roadblock from the thing actually getting created. Something as small in the big scale as a, as a comic or what have you, or something as big as kind of like spreading this idea of like archiving our history in this this manner. I think, you know, it's just like sort of the inaccessibility of it. And it's just not being fostered. It's not being pushed out there almost the same way as like, let's say baseball for sake of argument. They have sort of a black issue in baseball. It's not enough black kids being aware that you could play this for 20 years and not and have your knees at the end. You can still have your knees. You can have both of them and just not going forward. You can make a lot of money in it using the capitalist thing. But it's just like, no, that's for white people. I'm not going to do it. But it's like, yo, the league is like mostly Dominican dudes. Like, what are you saying? Oh, yeah, Dominicans didn't hear that. Dominicans like, yo, we, we're, we're, we're going to make this our own. And they, they take it over. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I just, I, I agree. Um, so I want to I ask this, um, and, I, and I think I have a sense on it. Um, so could you speak on a specific, like, sort of like when, you know, that's come to mind, you know, during during your time, um, just with, with Kenfolk being out there and doing the great work that you're doing, can you speak of like a win that really an example that comes to mind? Or, you know, I know that challenges are sitting there, but could you speak of a win, maybe a challenge, if you will, and how you address that challenge? Like, how did you, you know, parry, get a, you know, shoulder roll, the, you know, hit the jab on that challenge? So give me a win and give me sort of a challenge. I mean, being around as long as you've been around, it could be a win as well. I mean, it's uh, I get as uh, I'm the guy who struggles to really think about his wins, you know. Um, sure. So that's that's the tougher part of the question. I can list you a million challenges, uh, but I think the win. I mean, this year has been a, a win for us. I think we were able to get like like a 1.8 million dollar grant from the Mellon Foundation to spread the work out, and it's not to say that receiving external money is the win in itself which it is but it allowed us to go to black and brown communities across the country we're going to be in six different cities and are from 2022 to the end of this year and hopefully beyond uh where we get to do that work in the way that we want and i think it's a way that we can work with these communities build out these monuments um on our own terms which is pretty 
awesome and it's led to us being recognized in many ways like we have an exhibit out at the moma right now um where we're like one of 12 organizations um that are speaking that are speaking about the future of public spaces and how we can create more community designed and oriented spaces um we just were in tribeca this year which ended like two days ago uh, and we won the special jury prize at Tribeca for our installation called Black Lands, where we focused on Black enclaves around New York City that existed from 1600s to now. And so I think what excites me is that people are getting out there. People are using the app, posting the, placing the monuments, posting them on socials, sharing them out. Um, and I think we're getting closer and closer to that impact and like be, being able to be this close to be able to treat, achieve the dream of like making this something that's sustainable and that lives beyond myself, but that other people can contribute to without that middleman is, is pretty, is pretty great um, for me. And it's, it's been, it's been a hard road. Um, Cause I think it's not the XR part that's been hard, but it's really been the, the business like grant making fundraising explaining this idea of something that's not really existed before. Um, so that's definitely been a challenge is the business side of things. I'm an artist, like I'm not a businessman. Like I don't really think it's, it's it wasn't natural for me to think on these terms of like uh, growth scale um, and turning this into a business that can generate revenue. That's not really my strength. That's not, what I do this for, I do it for the art, I do it for community. And so um, thinking that way has grown me as a person, um, but it's definitely been a challenge that I'm still working through. And that's what's always great about building a team back to one of the wins is being able to build a team of like eight plus people uh, who are who work together well as a unit. If I'm not the one that thinks about that business aspect, well, there's someone on our team that is, but still understands the 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 decolonized mindset and values that we're trying to move through this business, quote unquote, business world with. Um, another challenge has been, I would say, the another challenge has been fighting against how we have been conditioned to use technology. I think when we think about technology as a whole, Humans engage with information spatially, naturally. Like, let's forget about screens. Let's forget about technology. We go into worlds. We look at 3D, 3D objects all the time. And we engage with things from a 360 perspective. Um, and that's how we're naturally used to engaging with information. But then with the, the device, all of that has been sort of compacted into a 2D interface to where we're used to, like, using our phones sort of like this, like, in right in front of us. And for a while in the beginning, that probably worked against how we were used to engaging with the world. But now after like, what, 50 plus years of building out this technology, um, humans have that ingrained in them that it, the phone, 2D, the world, 3D. And now with technology, we're building a space where technology can be 3D. And yet when we, when we see people engage with our monuments, they just stand like this and don't move. And it's an actual spatial experience where you can go around, you can engage with it from all sides. And in my view, it's actually more natural to human nature um, in terms of how we engage with the world. But yet these conditionings of 
how we use technology in the past have really made a blocker so that when we're showcasing this technology in spaces, people don't understand, people don't, people get frustrated with how to use the app um, because they don't rec realize that it's something that it's all around you. It's not just in front of you to scroll with, but the empowering part, inspiring part about this is that that's why kids pick up the phone app. They, they, they run with it. They're, they're the power users of kinfolk. I mean, take, give them the iPad. They're like, pressing around, they're moving around. And that's because they really haven't been conditioned uh, like we have in terms of how to use the technology. So I think the last inspiring part for me is just how the kids have really taken in to this technology and have been able to um, push it forward in a way that I would have never imagined. And so um, the youth and how they've grasped onto kinfolk is really, really exciting um, for me. And that's definitely gives me hope because from here on out, now I want to like, how do we have more, spend more time bringing 3D modeling skills into into classrooms and community centers across the country and do so from a video game and storytelling and film perspective rather than let's code this program. How can we lead with the art rather than lead with the code and the tech, which ostracizes so many people? I used to teach computer science to black and brown kids, but even kids in general, like if you lead with the tech, the coding, it like it it reinforces that imposter syndrome like you don't know what you're doing and it it pushes so many people away from the future by saying oh i can't code this is not for me but like i created coding when i was i was coding in college and getting those skills but now i'm not really coding anymore like i'm directing it and so it's like it's these like art and like design skills that are really especially as we think of AI and how that's like in 10 years, AI, we can ask AI to code what we want. Right. So it's these like, it's again, it's these skills in design, the skills in art, skills in storytelling, skills in emotional connection uh, and, and empathy, I think that are going to push us further into the future. And so um yeah, I'm excited to start getting and giving kids more workshops on how to build these skills out. Um, so yeah, that was a long-winded way to answer that question. No, but it ended on a positive note, and that's a yeah. great answer. Um, and yeah, uh, and, and we'll absolutely have more to talk about off mic. But that's sort of the wrap up of the real questions. And I think okay. I gave you, I think I gave you the uh, the preface earlier about the rapid fire portion. I'm here for it. All right. All right, this is, this is a doozy, and 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 and, I, and again, thank you. This this has been really really great, and what have you. I'm like my brain is just throbbing with information right now. <laughs> thank you, I appreciate you. This has been a great conversation. One hundred percent. So I have, I think four. I think I got four rapid fire questions for you. So here's the first one. We all had them, even though people don't like to acknowledge it. What was your nickname as a child? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, my nickname as a child, uh, I had a few, but the one I'll talk about is the most vulnerable and embarrassing. It's Squeak. Uh, my my nickname was Squeak uh, in high school. Um, not amongst my friends, but I was like a basketball player and I was a pretty good basketball player. And so I was on the varsity team as a freshman. Nice. So I was like five, three, five, four. I'm like six foot one now, but I was like five, three. And had all these like six foot, six four, six five guys. 
uh, as like my my team. And I just guess I had a high pitched voice and people call me squeak. <laughs> People's call me squeak. Um, and I was just thinking about that the other day. I'm like, damn, that was that was a wild time. I'm pretty sure that was being bullied. Um, but like I, I owned it. I owned it. And uh, I I showed them how to do it on the court. So it, it wasn't a problem. But yeah, that was my nickname in high school on the basketball team. It was Squeak. I, I Because you were, were super vulnerable there, I'm going to be as, as vulnerable. I don't think I've shared this on the pod. Um I had a nickname because, like as I said earlier, you know, rather rather tall, what have you. I'm always like big, and then people are like, they look at me. It's like you look a lot younger than you are. So I used to get Baby Huey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like I, like I remember. That, though. <laughs> I remember this. Um, I was one of those kids. Like, I'm like, look, Saturday morning cartoons are orange. I don't care about this scholastic program you want me in. So I was there under duress, right? And it's like, oh, Baby Huey's here late. I was like, look, man, I was watching X Men. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> that was the energy I had. That was... <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, like, I had other ones like Ege, uh and a few others that I won't name. But yeah, uh, um, let's see. So this podcast, Truth and His Art, right? Uh, and it's always time to reveal something. So you know how people get um very like they have their sort of they have their ratchet playlist, and then they have their I'm not going to claim this, but you start looking at the streams on like Spotify, and like you've listened to this song fifty times this week. So for you, what artist, if you want to go with a song, feel free. But what artist do you you listen to? And you're like, I don't want to claim them, but I, I enjoy I enjoy what they play. I enjoy their music. And the tradition of being vulnerable, I listen to Yeet. I, I don't care what anybody says. Like, you do? I, 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 I listen to Yeet. Um, I don't like all his music, but I don't know. His beats go crazy. His beats really good. His, his beats really go crazy. And like. I'm I'm for like the the jar like the nonsensical like uh I'm I'm really with the nonsensical pronunciation like you can barely understand them Playboy Cardi Young Thug type stuff because uh, it's about the flow it's about the vibe um and yeah they I really feel like some of those guys use their voice as instruments so uh i listen to ye i i'll, I'll say that i'll say that i'll say that proudly for sure <laughs> that's, that's great uh as, as a large six foot four 300 plus pound black man i listen to a lot of like 80s vapor wave and like pretty japanese girls singing about macross and anime robots and things of that sort oh that's me i'm, I'm a hip-hop producer as well um so like i like Hip hop producers, in a sense, are like archivists and historians in their own right. Um, so, like, you know, I've sampled so many like Japanese jazz, J pop, uh, vaporwave stuff. Uh, sampled a lot of like 70s Ethiopian jazz, um, just a bunch of stuff from around the world. So, I engage with a lot of music. Um, and, and, but yeah, I don't know, some, something about Yeet. <laughs> something about you that, <laughs> that I like, but I don't want people now thinking that I'm uh, I'm uncultured out here because I I definitely I definitely listen to the gamut from like neo soul to <laughs> Ethiopian jazz to oh, free yeah. jazz to to funkadelic like I don't know I listen to a bunch but you're just yeah. describing most of my playlist is pretty eclectic. <laughs> okay, yeah, same, same, same. Uh, I got a what is it like? Oh, you should yeah. I got a oh shoot. I got a bunch of vinyls, but like this is like I got oh shit. Let me let me turn off the blur. The blur. I got like George George Benson on <laughs> nice. on, on one side, but then I got like Wu Tang Clan on the other oh, side, yeah. and these are 
these are right on my desk. I got a Richard Pryor live recording up there. I got a I'm a vinyl collector uh and stuff. So music is, is my thing. Oh yeah, I dig it. So I got two more for you. Um, I think this this next one is a little bit of a you know, you go to the gym, you get that rest period. This is a version of a rest period. What is the hashtag that describes you best? Maybe it's not a rest period. <laughs> no, this is a tough one. You swap it out for emoji. This question used to be, what what emoji do you overuse or do you describe that describes you best? Hmm. I think that the emoji that describes me best, I like the devil, the purple devil emoji is like, is, is, is really where I'm at. Um, that or like the ice cold ice like the blue ice cold one that's like smiling like this like i'm sure i use that in the wrong way but that is uh that's my way to 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 say like yeah i'm into it or yeah let's do this um i i i, I use that one a lot i also like the tree one which i use for various purposes but i do i, I do really like uh i do love the, the 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 tree emojis um and the sun emoji but i would say that the de purple devil emoji is how i'm feeling right now I dig it. I use, I use that that standard like red ogre with the beard emoji. I ask my what I because oh. <laughs> I feel like it looks like me. It's like okay, that's just that's just me there. Who went? Who who gave them the right? You know, out here though. That's funny. Um, I'm just looking at a few of the other ones. Oh, th yo, this one is my favorite now. That, that, <laughs> I, I... That, like let yeah that that is that is that is that's my i actually that's probably my most used one at this point is is that is that yeah i i captain so this is this is the last one i got for you um you meant you mentioned um some of the games you were into uh growing up so of your like you know the early games you're playing you didn't mention a few that would really like you know stick out ones which one would you like to insert yourself into as the lead character? Like, which one were you like, you know what? I could fit in Crash Bandicoot. Like, what, which one would it be for you? I, it's got to be Pokemon. It's got to be. It's, 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 a, it's a cliche answer, but, like, I've been on Pokemon since red, blue, yellow. Like, nice. I would I would really catch them all. Like, I'm not lying. <laughs> I've done it over and over and over again to, to show proof. So I would definitely, I, I would, got, I got to say Pokemon. Like, I, that's, like. That's that's the main one I, I I would love to be in. Otherwise, like I guess it's not what I played as a kid. Actually, no, Zelda is another one that if I could be Zelda, that'd be fire. But then also Monster Hunter. Nice. Like if I could be out in Monster Hunter, like just catching the monsters, riding, just dominating the world. I mean that that would be great. I would that would be super fire. But I would say Pokemon. My, that, that's my childhood right there. So that's that's the one I'd want to be. It's a great answer. And um, what about you? What about you? Uh, I, I'm a little older than you. So my, my game choices are really interesting. I have had a dream of being Sagat from Street Fighter 2 for probably. Oh, nice. I, I just want to have an eye patch and I want to throw a knee at someone. I don't know why it's <laughs> been there. And I'm already bald. So I'm getting there. I'm, I'm working on it. Get a big scar across the chest. I have a cat named Tiger. So it works. It all works. We're here. <laughs> oh, that's fire. I'm thinking about downloading the new Street Fighter as we speak. I might do that later today. But yeah, that's that's cool. See, we're, we're, we're giving out uh, suggestions uh, by, via proxy. It's, just, it's working. It's working. <laughs> so so that's kind of it. Um, Actually, you know, I'll throw one in. I'll throw one in because I think you'll appreciate this. Um, we, I don't know if you remember that sort of 8-bit uh, attempt they, they added. Maybe it was 16-bit. That, that it was a free game. It's about 10 years old. 
that he had for Scott Pilgrim. I want to be in that game. That game is fun. Oh, wow. No, I didn't know about that. Oh, yeah. It's like a freebie for like uh, PS4. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a beat em up, too. It's great. Oh, I wait. The Scott Pilgrim beat beat em up. Okay. I think I I have seen that. I have seen that. That would be that would be great. I'm looking at it. I'm I'm about to play this. I'm like the only black guy in there. Suddenly it's like, get out of here, Scott. (laughs) (laughs) It's my game now. Rob Lee saved the world. (laughs) Democratizing. (laughs) A bit. (laughs) That's funny. So, you know, again, you know, thank you for coming on to this podcast and uh, spending some time with me and and sharing a bit of your story. This has been just wonderful. And um, I want to give you the space in these final moments to, to share anything that you want. Definitely the social media website and all that good stuff. But share anything you want in these final moments. Uh, the floor is yours. Yeah. Um, well, I'll start off with the information. I mean, it's kinfolktech.org. Um, so go on there. Check out what we're up to. Sign up for the newsletter to stay involved. We got a lot of cool updates coming out. Um, we're releasing the location-based version uh, in the fall. Uh, we're partnering with Niantic, who built Pokemon Go. Uh, to create that backend portion so that we can have these monuments engaged within the public spaces with ease. Um, all of our socials is Kinfolk Tech. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, anything, any parting words, I mean, like, we got a lot of work to do. Uh, and I guess the, the my, I guess what I want to say is like, find a, just find a way to be creative, find a way to think outside the box and use the tools outside of the ways that they were meant to be used. I think play, tinker, uh, hack, do whatever you got to do to really pull these tools and these experiences out to their fullest potential and out of the ways that have been defined for us. And I think if we engage more outside of the box thinking, then we'll be good. And so, yeah, just let's stay creative and stay out thinking outside the box and there you have it folks i want to again thank idris brewster from kinfolk for coming on to the podcast and chopping it up for a great conversation and i'm rob lee saying that there's art culture and you know some disruptors in and around your neck of the woods you've just got to look for them